Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the elf on Mike DeWine's shelf edition. It's officially December, which means it's no longer weird to listen to Christmas music, which I'm super excited about. We actually got our tree over the weekend and we learned that bigger is not always better. We went with a 14 foot tree. And let me tell you, Jesse, if you ever want to test the strength of your marriage, try stringing lights around a Fraser fir while one of you hangs off an extension ladder. How did you make that happen? Well, it took a lot of work and a couple of swear words that my kids are now much more familiar with. But it involves one of you, like you basically whip the lights around and one of you has to like catch it and then bring it back to the person on the ladder. That sounds dangerous. I think I'll stick to my six foot fake tree. (laughs) And if Jessie sounds a little funny today, it's because she's actually not in the studio with me here in Columbus. She is down in the Cincinnati area with Jim Renacy, which leads us into our first topic. Renacy is a former congressman from Northeast Ohio who tried and failed to unseat Senator Sherrod Brown. Now he's hoping to bump off Governor Mike DeWine from the Republican ticket for governor in 2022. So why did you follow Renacy down to Cincinnati today? So Renacy had a big announcement. He announced his running mate, uh, Joe Nope. He is a Christian film producer who made some films like I Can Only Imagine. There's also one, Unplanned, which is based off of watching someone who used to work at Planned Parenthood who then became a pro-life advocate. So not well known in political circles, probably not the first you know, 50 people on the name list of names, if you were guessing who Jim Renacy might pick here. Uh, but a person he says will, you know, represent that non-politician, non-establishment pick in this race. So it might be somebody who, if you are a conservative Republican, you might have seen his work, but not known the name Joe Nope. I think that's fair to say. So he introduced his uh, lieutenant governor pick today in Westchester. They talked about how um, Joe's children had been out of school and unable to participate in sports and so forth during the COVID-19 pandemic. And a lot of the decisions to close businesses or close the polling locations, for example, were made by Governor Mike DeWine and his health director, Dr. Amy Acton. And so uh, Renacy is hoping to capitalize on some of the frustration of people who, you know, didn't like the closures amid the COVID-19 pandemic. So, you know, one of the questions I always have about lieutenant governors or vice presidential picks is like, how much of a difference do they actually make in terms of the race itself? And, you know, I guess given where we are in the national conversation about abortion and like the the case that is currently before the U.S. Supreme Court, do you think this this pro-life pick, this filmmaker could make a difference given the topic of the day? What's interesting is they're trying to run to the right of Mike DeWine on abortion, which is an issue that he's actually pretty conservative on. He signed the heartbeat bill into law when former Governor John Kasich was wary to do so. He has, even as attorney general, kind of investigated Planned Parenthood to questionable results. And so this is an issue that I think Mike DeWine is pretty solidly conservative on. But I think there is some frustration that there are any abortions in Ohio at all for some Republicans. And so 
So it's a, it's an issue that certainly fires up Republicans, how it fires up um, conservative Christians. And so there are votes to be had there, but I'm not sure if there's a way to kind of get around Mike DeWine on this topic. No, that's a really good point. Well, if you like Renacy's pick and are looking to donate to his campaign, the Ohio Election Commission could have a new rule for you. Soon you might be able to Venmo your favorite candidates. For those who don't know, Venmo is an app for your smartphone that gets tied to your bank account. It makes it super easy to send someone money for coffee, dinner, or election night pizza. But up until this week, Ohio hadn't really discussed as a state, whether it could be used in campaigns. And it, they haven't made it official yet, but it's looking like the rule is going to be pretty simple, right? You create a separate Venmo account for your campaign donations. Is that kind of the gist of it? Yeah, that appears to be what they're aiming towards. And it makes sense as people are starting to use different forms of sending money. I know I prefer to Venmo my friends when we're splitting up bills rather than write a check or or provide money. And so it makes sense that campaigns are moving in this direction too, but the Ohio Elections Commission is there to ensure that that money is going to campaigns and not to individuals. And that's important. So so it seems like we should have some rules around that. They're also looking at Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency, but that would be handled in a slightly different way. Yeah. And this all kind of comes about because there was a school board candidates right down in Southwest Ohio that got into a little bit of like question. I don't know if I'll call it hot water, uh, maybe lukewarm water over um, taking Venmo donations through their personal accounts. Yeah. And I think that's what you want to try to avoid. Obviously, campaign dollars are there to help a candidate get, get elected. And then personal money is is for your own personal expenses. And candidates get in trouble when you start commingling those funds. And it might be something tiny like this, or it might be something, you know, really large, like a federal corruption investigation. So just best to keep those monies separate. And I'm really honestly looking forward. So Venmo creates this little like log. It's like a Twitter feed of your uh, and your friends like payments to each other. And I'm just really looking forward to see like how people like what kind of emojis people put into candidate donations. I think it'll be kind of like Like elephant, donkey, eagle, American flag. Oh, Yeah. yeah. I will be curious to see how clever people get with it. So our third topic deals with the state teachers retirement system of Ohio. And this is like a really weird story. So buckle up, everyone. So STRS manages about $98 billion. So that's all the money it has to pay current and future retirees. Well, along comes this company called QED. It was formed in 2020, and one of the founders used to work for Josh Mandel. And they pitched an investment idea for $65 billion, so that's like two-thirds of the entire pension fund portfolio. And they pitched it to STRS's investment staff and to an outside consultant. So... Both of those groups said no thanks, but then a handful of the board members insisted on a presentation. And the idea is that they would purchase treasury bonds and that would lower their overall costs and that this could somehow bring back the COLA and chop contribution rates and lower investment fees and involve little financial risk. I mean, the claims of what this could do. I mean, they sounded like one of those diet pills where it's like you can eat whatever you want and still lose weight. And you know, the the board seems really hesitant about this. And I'm just I'm really confused, like why it keeps coming back up over and over and over again as like the thing that they should do. 
Yeah, I agree. It's a little mystifying. Our colleague Laura Bischoff did a great story on this. And just the back and forth between the members, the trustees was really interesting. One of them says, you know, when they were considering this plan, like, does the name Bernie Madoff mean anything to you? Like, I wouldn't invest my own money in this. The company QED doesn't have a track record or employees or a website. And so... I think there is a desire to have things like the COLA come back. There's a, I think everyone wants, you know, a better pension system or, you know, return to the, to slightly better financial days. So there's an opening for someone to come in and make big promises. And that would be desirable to teachers who are retired teachers. And so. I understand why this kind of comes up. It'll it'll be interesting if there's any more to this. Yeah. And I mean, two thirds of their portfolio. I mean, that's I mean, it's a ton of money to give to a, a company that was founded a year ago. Yeah. And part of it was they were asking for two hundred and fifty million dollars to kind of test out whether this would work. And man, if I could have two hundred and fifty <laughs> million dollars to just test something out that would be nice but i understand the pension system they they take a lot of kind of not risks but they they look at a lot of different options some more secure some less secure so this might be pitched as you know one of those more risky high risk high reward kind of options that i think it's been met with a lot of criticism and and questions yeah and finally speaking of questions we're going to talk about our current lieutenant governor john houston we talked about him last week in conjunction with a civil suit that has been filed in the ongoing debacle over House Bill 6. And Laura Bischoff caught up with him and asked him a couple questions. No, he hasn't hired a lawyer. No, he hasn't been questioned by federal investigators. And no, he had no involvement in the passage of the infamous House Bill 6. Do I have that all correct? Yeah, I think that's been his position. So what brought this about was there is a lawsuit. There's actually several lawsuits, but one brought by shareholders and the various uh, first energy executives who are applying to these legal documents are making a list, a laundry list of people who might know anything about House Bill 6. So they included Lieutenant Governor John Houston. They included every lawmaker who voted for House Bill 6. So this isn't, you know, a, like a smoking gun kind so of So it's kind of like a fishing it, it expedition. It was a name that stood out, obviously. And so reporters have been asking you know, what what involvement did he have in the passage of this bill? Uh, John Houston has connections and, and uh, colleagues who worked pretty closely with First Energy when he was Speaker of the House. He, you know, worked towards favorable results for First Energy. It's an Ohio company that's been around for a while, and he's an Ohio politician who's been involved in, in these kind of decisions for a while. So the overlap is natural, and that's why we'll, you know, continue to ask a few questions. But right now he's saying he had nothing to do with it. And one more thing before you go. Ohio is thinking about changing the rules for people with HIV. So not disclosing your HIV status is considered felonious assault under Ohio law. That means someone could face up to eight years in prison. But there are advocates who are saying, look, that's more than reckless homicide or robbery and or arson. And that the punishment doesn't really fit the crime anymore. It's a really it's a really interesting idea that I hadn't considered, like how how seriously we should charge somebody who fails to disclose HIV to their partner. Yeah, it's 
interesting because I think we get these laws on the books that maybe make sense a decade ago and maybe they didn't make sense a decade ago or several decades ago, but they just kind of linger there. So you see people going back in and wanting to change things like this, wanting to change like certain language that's in Ohio law that's outdated or offensive or antiquated. So it's uh, the Ohio Revised Code for a reason. We keep revising it. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered this week, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like portclintonnewsherald.com.